Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. So we are back after a long reprieve with Mission Matters. I am Virginia Herbers from the Office of Mission, and I am here with Father David Sawalski, Vice President in the Office of Mission and Identity. And we are relaunching this Mission Matters podcast in this very exciting Ignatian year that began May 20th. So we are relaunching because we are in the business of locating where the mission is out there living on campus in the people and initiatives that are important here at SLU to our identity and incarnating our mission. And we're hoping that our uh, audiences can expand. So if you like these podcasts, please spread the word. And if you know of someone who should be highlighted or an initiative that we should be paying attention to, please reach out to us. But for today, I am thrilled to be able to speak here with Father Sawalski. So Father Sawalski, tell us whatever you'd like to share with us about yourself. Sure. Thanks so much, Virginia. Yes, this is my second year as the Vice President for Mission and Identity, but as I tell people, it's like it's my second first year because I came on board as the Vice President in the middle of COVID when everybody was at home, all of the programming in the mission office, which is, I'd say, easily 90% about bringing people together. We couldn't do that. So... What my experience has been in these past couple of months is actually trying to reinitiate, just like this podcast, the activities, even though we still have a lot of uncertainty. We still can't bring people together, especially if we're uh, programming to bring alums and such to, to the campus. I mean, our current rules say if your event has more than 10% of people who are not members of the campus, then you have to go virtual, for example. So some of these things, like the first Fridays that were very popular, which also included a lunch, which is what's not great about getting a free lunch, (laughs) um, those are still virtual. Those are online. We've started these Ignatian conversations that were featuring during the Ignatian year members of the Jesuit community of St. Louis U. So we had one last month, and we have one coming up in November, which will feature three of our newest Jesuits on campus, and that's exciting especially exciting for this year as campus ministry has returned under the umbrella of the mission office and so much more synergy going back and forth with the campus ministry because there's such talented wonderful people to be able to call upon those talents to uh, help support the office and get the word out for retreats and advent days of recollection which we're planning on right now for example or just to get the word out to uh, have people listen to things like this podcast. Now, you asked me a little bit about myself. Yes. Yes. So I entered the Jesuit novitiate in Denver in 1983. So that makes me a Jesuit now for 38 years, but that's math, so don't rely on that. I was uh, ordained in 1995. That one's easier to do because on fives, I can do fives. So that's 26. (laughs) Uh, And in between in those 38 years... I did my philosophy studies here from 85 to 87. Here at SLU? Here at SLU, back when we used to live in Fuse Memorial. I also earned a master's degree in history while I was here during that time, and then went and taught at St. Louis U High for four years, where uh, I was teaching U.S. history and freshman theology. And believe it or not, I was also a wrestling coach. Uh, I 
was with the little guys, the fresh. Oh I started with the sophomores, and then okay. the AD comes up to me at the end of <laughs> at the end of the year, and he says, "Dave, we'd really like you to come back for second year coaching." And I said, "Oh, great, coach." He said, "Yeah, now hold on, because you may think that I'm demoting you." And I go, "What does that mean?" He says, "I'd like you to coach the freshmen." And I said, oh, 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 okay. He says, do you want to know why? I said, sure. And he goes, well, we always lose all of the freshmen. <laughs> but you kept all the sophomores all through season. So oh if, if you can do that for the freshmen, we might be able to build a program. That's actually quite a compliment. It was, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So getting out of that, um, I did my theology in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we had a school out there that's now part of Boston College called the Western Jesuit School of mm -hmm. Theology, where I did my MDiv. I did a master's in theology at Harvard Divinity. And then in 1995, after I was ordained, I was an assistant principal at Rockers High in Kansas City until 2000. And then after some discussions with the provincial, we agreed that I would do doctoral studies, and SLU was a great choice, so I came here and did a doctorate in American Studies. During that time, I was also the director of museums and galleries for the university, was also on the staff of the Bellarmine House of Studies, which is the residence Jesuit community for the scholastics. I was the province treasurer from 2008 to 2011 because there's nothing like a history and English major. To, to make good for a treasurer. <laughs> that's right, to be charged with the province finances at the same time as the worst depression that hit the United States since yeah. the 1930s. And in 2011, I became president of Jesuit High School in Sacramento, California. And when I finished that, six years later, then I came back to SLU in January of 2018 and spent part of that time in the mission office working with Father Collins and then the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences asked me to come to his office for a chat. Went up there, and he asked me to chair the uh, Department of Theological Studies. So that was supposed to go two or three years. And then Dr. Pistello asked me if I would take on the responsibilities as the VP for Mission and Identity. So that's quite a roadmap of experiences, both on the secondary ed and higher ed levels from St. Louis to Sacramento. I, for a long time in my Jesuit life, I thought I was only destined to be an I-70 missionary. <laughs> it was either St. Louis or Kansas City or Denver and just keep moving back and forth. Whereas I had a classmate who was a professor at the London School of Economics. <laughs> Another classmate was a refugee and he entered the order and he spends his entire life going and giving retreats and talks throughout the Pacific Rim. Another classmate who went to Rwanda in response to the Father General's request for, well, he said he wanted Jesuits from the Americans, from the U.S., especially from the Midwest, who could be or would be considered neutral compared to all of the chaos that happened there because the French had been discredited, the Belgians had been discredited, and so just a couple of good old boys from Missouri to go over there, and there I was hanging out in a <laughs> Jesuit secondary school. Wow. Being really upset about the paper, so many papers that I had to grade. It just wasn't right. Yeah. So now being in the office itself, again, as I said at the beginning, it's just been an interesting experience because, as everybody knows, nothing has been normal. Right. And this semester has been particularly difficult on a lot of fronts. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people really understand how remarkable SLU's response has been to COVID. So all last year we were on campus. Granted, we were 
distanced in our classrooms. And, and, and then, of course, that also meant that all of the assembly spaces that we have here, whether it's the Wool Ballrooms, the St. Louis Room, Marquette Gallery, all of those things were closed because those were all instructional spaces. And we, we weren't bringing people to campus anyway. So although we were able to be on campus, able to have students in the res halls and that sort of thing, it was certainly different. And last summer, we got to June. It seems like we're going to turn the corner on the virus then all of these restrictions we can kind of let go. And that particularly was wearing masks and then having all the distance and everything else. And then came Delta, and all of that just went out the window. Yeah. Although we are remarkably safe, and it's more than just an island within the metropolitan area here to have 98% of the students vaccinated, 97-something percent of faculty and staff vaccinated, is remarkable, and yet all the way around us, Eh, not so much, right? right? Well, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Ignatian year. and yes. um, So there's uh, kind of three guideposts of the year. So May 20th, 2021, it's the 500th anniversary of Ignatius being wounded at the Battle of Pamplona. With the famous... Cannibal. And I think a lot of people, and when they think about cannonballs, are thinking like the cannonball's the size of a bowling ball. Right. And you would think if you got hit by something that big, you'd get more than your leg broken, right? Right. But this is 1521. Okay. And they're basically shooting glorified BB gun. But they're effective enough to knock down walls and things yeah. like that. And so this cannonball gets over the wall and bounces around, so it's not like at its highest velocity and just hits him like a bowling oh. pin and breaks his leg. And so that is considered kind of the the significant point that's going to lead to his convalescence, that's going to lead to his conversion. And as I say to people, it's not accurate to call it a conversion because he's already a baptized Christian, right? Sure. He might be nominally Christian and Catholic, but nonetheless, he's already Christian. So this conversion is actually this transformation from this lackadaisical Catholic to this fervent, heart on fire, I'm going to go change the world saint. man that he becomes. Eventual saint. Eventual yeah. saint, right? Mm -hmm. And so then next March will be the anniversary of the canonization of Ignatius Loyola as well as Francis Xavier. And so that anniversary, and then it closes on July 31st, 2022 with the feast day of St. Ignatius. Now, since uh, this has all been organized from Rome, I don't think they realize that these dates that they've specified actually do not coincide at all with the university calendar in the United States. It's not easy to celebrate it here no, on a campus. No. Partly, too, we're partnering with other people, so the mission office is helping to underwrite lectures now that we can bring people to campus for that. Um, so both the, the lectures in um, Department of Theological Studies will kind of be a reflection of the themes of the uh, Ignatian year as well as the apostolic preferences. For an example, do the same thing with the proposed lecture for African American Studies. We'll be putting banners up on, on campus just so that we have an image that people can see, and, and which is also kind of cool because the image we used is in, in the collection, the art collection of the university, and so it's unique to SLU. It's not anything anybody else has. But all of the supply chain thing, yeah, well, it turns out the brackets to hold the banners onto the light poles. 
those available. are not available. And so everything is ready to go except these little pieces of plastic wow. that have to come from somewhere and might be sitting in a box on a ship outside of Long Beach. I, something tells me that Ignatius would probably love that. Yeah. He would delight in that. I don't know why. Well, I mean, he, they spent, what, 12, 14 months in Venice just trying to get a boat to Jerusalem and didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Father General Sosa is really interested, as are the, the particularly the provincials in the U.S. and Canada, of encouraging greater relationships, intersections, activities with other Jesuit works in the same area. Mm-hmm. So you think about St. Louis, I mean, we sponsor the university. We've got the two high schools. We've got Loyola Academy. Mm-hmm. We have the two parishes, St. Matthew's and the College Church, and a retreat house just here. But they're all independent realities, and they all have their own schedules and things that they have to do. And bringing things together, is it's easier said than actually done. There's been a group that's been working on this f- for quite a while now, and I think there's there's a couple of things. Certainly, online uh, presentations that other you know, being promoted in the other works, like our Ignatian conversation or First Fridays, um, using the retreat house and inviting people out to the retreat house to walk the Ignatian trail and that sort of thing, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then a proposal that I've made, which I think we can make real, is to. Uh, go to the Shrine of St. Joseph's, which I don't know if many people have been to it or are familiar with it here in St. Louis. It's a shrine because one of the accepted miracles for the canonization of St. Peter Claver, Jesuit saint, uh, took place in that church, right? The Jesuit iconography that you would really recognize that you don't see so well at the college church yes. is all there, whether it's a uh, gilded IHS on the ceiling of the vestibule right. or that big statue of St. Peter Claver that's in the vestibule or you look at those altars that has you know, St. Joseph and then St. Ignatius and the altar of youth which was dismantled when they remodeled the college church here um, but you can see uh, St. Stanislaus, St. John Berkman's and um, uh, Aloysius Gonzaga uh, are in the couple's house patio garden so that was a common feature in Jesuit churches was the altar of youth. I'll be darned. How about yeah, that? and those are they're called uh, the boy saints because uh, each one died prior to their ordination. But getting back to St. Joe's, so what? one of the things to get everybody together because it's such a heritage site for Jesuit life in St. Louis of just joining the, the community there for their 11 o'clock mass sometime mm-hmm. in late spring. Nice. I mean, the place sits 1,500, and they've got a great, great choir and it's just a beautiful church, so we thought it'd be kind of fun to get Good. get people down there to see the shrine. It's a it's an awesome place if you want a long aisle for your wedding, but it's basically a, a chapel. So one mass on Sunday and then the weddings is what. All right, so stay tuned for that event. In the Absolutely, spring, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I believe I believe there's a pop up pilgrimage at St. Joseph yep, yep, scheduled for yep. the first Friday of November. So. It's just one of those things It's always been, as a historian, I'm always fascinated by this stuff. It's like we live in these environments, and we just, we've seen them, and then we stop seeing them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was teaching here in St. Louis, the guys would always be asking for extra credit, and I told them the only extra credit I would give them is that they would go to some place in the area and write it up. And they go, well, what kind of place? And I said, I don't care. Go to the museum under the arch. Go to the cathedral basilica. Go experience something yeah. that's right under your nose. 
yeah and and if you do a nice job writing it up hey, more more power to you and that's what the guys who come back said i've always meant to x i always thought i'd get there but i just hadn't <laughs> you know sometimes there's just these great things out there and, yeah. and uh you drive past them and say oh i'll get to that one day and you just never get around to it perfect segue into what this whole podcast thing is about is recognizing and seeing what's right in front of us all the time yeah so can you think off the top of your head of just something that you've experienced or witnessed in just the past couple of weeks couple of months that you're like you know what that's an embodiment of our mission that's a great example of who we are as SLU well yes obviously our response to those tragic deaths by suicide was a clear uh, exemplar of who we are as a community. Now, I'd be more than happy to not have that as an example. But the care and compassion from staff, faculty, fellow students, all the way around of you know just concern and coming at a time when when these two tragic deaths turn a spotlight on to the trauma everybody has been living for the past basically 18 months right. where there just ain't no more gas in the tank to, to keep adding another and another and another thing and yet despite that whether it was the res hall staff or the campus ministers or the professors who were taking the time in their classes to give the students an opportunity to share how they were feeling, what questions they might have, even if even, you know, who's the trained counselor? There's X number of trained counselors on campus. Mm-hmm. But human compassion doesn't require a degree or certificate. Even on the, the day that we had off, right, just opening the invitation to faculty and staff to bring their dogs on campus, right, which also meant that you had to walk the dog. <laughs> right. And it also meant people thought the dogs were kind of cute. And then all of a sudden you stopped and you had a human encounter as well as with the dog. And, boy, there was everything there from teacup uh, terriers, Yorkies, to somebody brought a Great Dane that I guess you could have saddled up. The thing was huge. Um, but all the way across the board, in fact, I got a, an incredible note from one of our alums who watched the memorial service uh, online and just wrote a, a really beautiful note about what that represented to him about the university community that would step up in a very real way of coming together to pray because that's what we do. Right, right. In times of these great questions and these great unknowns that our instinct is to come together as a community and face them together, not alone and separated and diffused from one another. I I have to say, too, because I was also walking around when we were moving in the freshmen just watching the Orflam students in action and their level of excitement and passion and generosity and the fact that that's witnessed by all those families that are dropping off their little babies and all of that sort of thing yeah. just tells people that SLU is a place that it's just fine to let go, to let them have, have their moment as, as a college student. Yeah, I think that's really important. And honestly, the the one slew COVID response sort of thing from the get-go, and I give Dr. Pristello 100% here, not one decision was made without talking about how that decision reflects our mission as a Catholic Jesuit institution. And I think 
if you take the time to reflect on decisions that were made, policies that were put into place, and everything else, and it goes across the board from recognizing those people who did not have the opportunity to stay home and work from home. So custodial crews, facilities crews, food service workers, all that sort of thing, and to recognize that because they were the ones who really made it possible for for us to be here. Frontline workers. Frontline workers to be here safely or to always remember our clinicians and all of our medical staff and SLU care. Our international students. Absolutely. I mean, this campus had 400 students in the res halls all during this time. It wasn't like SLU was ghost town, right? Right. And all of of that care and concern that went through that. And And I don't know how many people know this, but, I mean, we actually ended up with the year with a budget surplus, which was completely unexpected. And the decision by the board and the president was to distribute that surplus to hourly workers earning less than X. And I think that was an incredible statement about how our mission and our care for others uh, is actually, you know, we're walking that talk. Personally, I think it also is reflected in the fact that we enrolled the second largest class in the university's history. And I'm convinced that's because parents, families were paying attention and mm-hmm. saw how we were taking care of the community mm-hmm. here and said, uh, A, I may not be comfortable sending my son or daughter 2,000 miles away, but B, I am comfortable sending them to SLU because of the quality of the education and the care that the university possesses yeah. for, for the students here and the faculty and staff here. And I believe that's what we call a cure personalis. Wow, <laughs> just slid that right in there. Care yeah. for the whole person. Care for the whole person, whether that's our students on campus, whether that's the faculty who day in and day out is with them in the classroom or research, the clinics, or whether it's the staff who mm-hmm. is here behind the scenes, right? Absolutely. Day in and day out. That's a pretty good-sized town, actually. All right. Well, is there anything else that you want to make sure gets mentioned? Be nice to the fathers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there is a new residence yeah. on the upswing, isn't there? There it is. Okay, mm-hmm. so Jesuit, why don't you just give a little plug about that? Yeah, okay. What's happening I, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely, because I've been doing a lot with the planning as well as helping to do the fundraising for it. So Jesuit Hall was originally established as the university community. The fathers moved from Verhagen and DeBerg Hall in 1973 and moved into Jesuit Hall. It was always meant to be temporary. Okay. And so they move in, but, you know, it's a hotel, and, and it was the Melbourne Hotel, and it was one of the nice hotels. I mean, this this area where the university is, it's theater district, movies and, and plays and all that sort of thing, and then as you headed west towards Forest Park, it was like the neighborhood, right? A place to be. And so the Melbourne, the Coronado, these were mm-hmm. kind of high-end hotels that really took it on the chin with the advent of the car, uh, especially after the Second World War. And they had no parking. They couldn't accommodate that. So the university bought it, and it became the first women's dorm. Oh, my gosh. So as part of the agreement with the Jesuit community moving out of DeBerg and Verhagen, the university got full control of those buildings and in turn turned to Rogers Hall over to the university community. So you're talking about a 20s-era hotel. We're talking about a hotel that then becomes a dorm, then a dorm that becomes a Jesuit community, and then we get to the 21st century, and it's now almost 100 years old. They have to do regular repairs to keep the brick facades from sliding off the building. 
it's incredibly expensive to maintain. Yeah. And what's happened over time is it became less and less of a university community and more and more of a retirement community. Right. So there's a whole different set of needs that are being addressed over there, including a remodel of two and a half of the floors to be an infirmary right. for men who need regular medical care. So we've got this building that's not particularly well suited for the men who are now living there that's incredibly expensive to operate and to maintain. And the university Jesuits, on top of everything else, because of COVID and the concern about bringing the virus into the building, the Jesuits who were living there working at the university haven't been living there for the past 18 months. So that coincides with this idea that from the provincial perspective, that we needed a facility for the senior Jesuits. Mm -hmm. And if we had the university Jesuits out there, we didn't need the building anymore. Now, there's some people who think that the university owns the building and some cruel, mean thing is being done to the, to the Jesuits by selling oh. it out from under us, but that, in fact, is not the case. That was entirely a decision by the central and southern province, not anything to do with St. Louis U. But there's been regular talk about a Jesuit residence on campus, more central to campus, more visible to the university community, all of that. They've done it at Marquette, they've done it at Loyola Chicago, they did it about 20 years ago at Georgetown. So this residence was designed, and it was designed with great intention that the first floor would have public spaces that would be greater than what the community needed so that we could readily invite the university community to join us for mass, join us for dinner, to host a reception for the development office or the alumni office, all of that. And then the upstairs would be bedrooms and private spaces and that sort of thing. So we're looking at 25 bedrooms, of which 20 would be for full-time members of the university community, community, and then five for, for guests. Uh, we broke ground last spring. Uh, with the expected opening sometime in July of 2022. Very good. Not even a year out. No. I mean, it's I'm beginning to hyperventilate a little bit because the other day I was just thinking to myself, how many sets of sheets do we need to buy? At least 25. <laughs> you know, because I have to say, most of the stuff at Jesuit Hall, we <laughs> don't want to move to the new place. Um and so some of those things have to be kind of squared away about furnishing a 34,000 yes. square feet yeah. facility. Now, I've said all along that this place is not being built because Jesuits want to live at a Hyatt. But there is a certain scale to it because you've got at least 18 to 20 men living in it and then having this other function to help support you know, the mission of the university. So there's a scale there that might be a little unnerving to where people say, oh, this is your house. That's pretty exciting. I, I can see us easily uh, accommodating student weekday liturgies there, praise and worship there, which is being done in a classroom now, for example, in the chapel. Uh, those, those sorts of things where that becomes, the Jesuit Center becomes really a place where people feel welcome and, and will expect to see events there. The chapel, I think, is going to be spectacular. We found this glass artist from South Dakota who's done amazing work around the country, and he's designed these, these windows, these floor-to-ceiling windows that will be spectacularly beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
So, but I mean, I think the acoustics are going to be great. So, uh, fine and performing arts can do recitals in there. We could certainly accommodate seat 75, most lectures, for example, or, you know, that are appropriate to the space. Nice. So, I, everybody is really excited about it. But the other thing, too, the provincials have made it very clear that in signing Jesuits to a Jesuit university, that the two major factors in play will be the professional opportunity, obviously, and then the quality of his Jesuit community life. And that's not just having uh, your own private space to, to sleep in, right? Absolutely. That's also having a strong, solid, healthy Jesuit community that will support your work, support your sacramental ministry, and support your personal needs, you know, just being a companion in Christ. And sometimes there's a real challenge out there with people living alone together sort of thing, and that that's not good. And that goes back to Ignatius, too, with the first companions. Yeah. I mean, it's all right there. So in case people don't know where this is, this is right in the heart of the North Campus. Right. Right behind... Uh, Fuse and the Village Apartments. Mm-hmm. It's on the Cleed. Um, so Spring Hall and Baraka Hall are to the north, and then more of the Village Apartments are to the south. For those of a certain age, that's where the Mexican restaurant was. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if you're walking down the Cleed now, you can see that structure for the chapel. Yeah, it's really bizarre looking because they've got all of the scaffolding and then they've got this these curved things there and it's all meant to support the brick that's being installed in order to create the arches yeah. for, the, for the space. So cool. I think it's, it's exciting for the Jesuit community and it's exciting for SLU. And again, it's exciting for the guys who are in studies right now and are thinking about what their options might be. So we've been able to, to work that a little bit. And this past two years, we've brought in six younger Jesuits and Catholic studies and philosophy, education, law, economics, missing one, of course. Father Page, who's in his pastoral year working half-time at the college church and half-time at uh, campus ministry. And then we've got the scholastics. And so, you know, this is a really vibrant Jesuit community that actually skews younger than what you find at most of the Jesuit universities these days. So that's also part of my responsibility is to go out there and convince them that SLU is the place to be, which is, you know, a very easy story to tell. Well, that's a win-win. That's a win for the Jesuits. That's a win for SLU. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think it's it's going to be a real, yeah, that'll be real great. plus for the universities. That'll yeah, thanks great. for asking about that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to just put in a little plug here for some upcoming initiatives out of the office. If you have not taken part in our speaker series, those are available on our website. And the next one will be November 19th. These happen via Zoom. And Diego Abente, who is the director of Casa de Sulad, is speaking on Walking with the Poor, the Outcasts of the World, and Those Whose Dignity Has Been Violated in a Mission of Reconciliation and Justice. So make sure you tune into that. There is a pop-up pilgrimage happening the first Friday of November. Um, there, as Father Swalski uh, alluded to, there will be an Advent retreat coming up uh, in December. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. And last but not least, we need your help. If you know of a colleague who is living the mission quietly but out loud, let us know about it and help us recognize and appreciate them so that we all can live the mission in a way that is filled with integrity for our identity. 
Uh, make sure you spread the word about this podcast, which is available anywhere you find podcasts, and also on our social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, where we are at SLU Jesuit Mission. So thanks so much, and until next time. God bless everyone. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU, and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way.